and Sky News is projecting that the UK has voted out. We can now say the decision taken in 1975 by this country to join the common market has been reversed by this referendum uh, to leave the EU. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months, but I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. But it is now clear to me that it is in the best interests of the country for a new Prime Minister to lead that effort. So I am today announcing that I will resign as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Our exit poll is suggesting that there will be a Conservative majority when all the votes are counted after this election of December 2019. I urge everyone to find closure and to let the healing begin. From the referendum result on the 23rd of June 2016 to the UK's official departure from the EU on the 31st of January 2019, for the highs and the lows, broadcasters were there to mark every occasion, analyse and contextualised. But how well were the public served by broadcasters on this most challenging of issues? Did they probe what was really going on in government before, during and after the referendum and during the EU negotiations? Welcome to The Know How, a podcast aimed at bringing academics and professionals together to dissect the pressing matters of today. I'm Dr. Glenda Cooper. And I'm Dr. Lindsay Blumel. This is a special episode of The Know How held at City University of London on the challenges of broadcasters reporting Brexit. It was chaired by David Lloyd, the honorary visiting professor at the university and former head of Channel 4 News, Current Affairs and Business. To a packed auditorium, senior broadcasters debated what had gone right and what had gone wrong with coverage. Following are some of the highlights of a free-ranging discussion in which the following guest speakers took part. Jon Snow, the Channel 4 News presenter. Lizzie Watson, Deputy Editor of BBC News at 6 and 10. Stuart Purvis, the former CEO of ITN and a former Ofcom senior advisor. Rachel Schreyer of BBC Reality Check. Gary Gibbon, the Channel 4 News political editor. Tom Giles, controller of current affairs at ITV. And Jill Rutter from UK in a Changing Europe group at King's College London. David Lloyd begins the debate. I have to say that in preparing this, um, and incidentally I'm delighted so many people have come, um, I was looking to deliver something that was truly topical and also something that would start with these seminars with a bang even if not with um, a Brexit bomb. As I understand it, what, what our duty is to, is, is to t treat different arguments with the same rigour. If one of them happens to collapse in front of you, that's not your fault. But I think what we were too focused on collectively uh, in that referendum was making sure that there was ding and there was dong. You had two different voices in there, and that was our concept of balance. That isn't... That, that might be balance of a kind, but it isn't performing a public service broadcasting role. And I think some sort of neurosis and fear uh, gripped broadcasters in that period. I think it, was, it wasn't necessarily our concept of, of balance. It was what was decided our regulators and also under the interpretation of a referendum in the same way that you would handle an election period. And, and that, that, that enforced all sorts of, you know, how many, how many minutes have you got of yes and how, or leave and how many have remained yes or no on us 
which, to be honest, the journalists themselves constantly bridled against. Mm. We're constantly trying to say, no, we need to be able to say this thing in this film, and then maybe we can balance it in that film. Mm. But there was a constant tension between the journalists and the overall sense of uh, a, a, a system imposed on public service broadcasters by Ofcom and by, by the, the nature of election reporting, where you are you know, duty-bound to make sure it's balanced. And it was the difference between an election and, and an extremely binary referendum. Yeah. Which we which, hadn't done, which, which we, we hadn't, hadn't covered done. in the, in the yeah. same... And so we the, underestimated the, the impact of that. And also the other <laughs> thing, I think, if you step back, and I think the kind of, you know, I take issue with the premise of, you know, the, the, the broadcast down. And if you look at the way the campaigns, you know, pick up on Gary's point of ding and dong, the campaigns were talking like this. You know, so, so the Leave campaign were arguing in one place, and, and, and the Remain campaign was putting a different <coughs> argument. They were... So in an election, you know... The government will say one thing about the health service, and the opposition will say another. And actually, in the in the Remain campaign, if they weren't, you know, it was 350 million versus emergency budget, or it was, you know, Turkey's going to join versus don't take the risk. They weren't arguing in the same space. And I think the challenge for us was in that was it was was magnificent. Mm. I mean, it was it was huge. It's worth saying as well from a sort of fact-checking point of view that so much of this, and for us covering it during the referendum, it's trying to fact-check the future. And yeah. something that lots of people have put to us is the example in false balance of climate change and not putting a climate yeah, change yeah. denier with a climate scientist. But I would say when we're talking about economic forecasts, that doesn't have this quite the same status as climate science. And we're talking yeah. about something where we can say this is the best possible guess, it's essentially, and the best possible information we have. But we can't say we're not going to platform those guys because we know that's false, because we don't, mm. and it, there's a valid view in there. David, can I just offer, you, you talk, talked about you know, going back, and you know, over the, the long period that which I was involved, going back from, from uh, Channel 4 News, what I observe is that you know, what was special about Channel 4 News in the early days is we were challenging people, and in news programmes, as opposed to current affairs, you didn't challenge people very often, so that's mm -hmm. why people kind of noticed us, mm -hmm. and that goes on to this day. But there was a point I noticed, it's about sort of eight or nine years ago, where politicians strongly objected to somebody telling them they were wrong on the air. <laughs> yes, um, yes. That was thought to be most unusual. Remember uh, Gould, uh, who, was, who was the Labour Party chairman? Brian, Brian, Brian Gould. Brian no, no, um, Philip Gould. Philip Gould, Philip Gould, who was the Labour Party. Tony Blair's spin doctor, mm. actually, at a, a public event I spoke at it at Oxford, said it is not the role of broadcasters to tell politicians they are wrong. How great is it? that reality check and, and Channel 4's fact check have, over the last decade, developed the, and been encouraged by broadcasters to have the nerve to say something was said. Now, I don't know, Rachel, are they allowed to say they're wrong? I'm not sure what words you would use. Certainly, yeah, certainly. Yeah. We do say people are wrong. I mean, I think that in the process of dealing with kind of factual claims and, and thinking and assessing whether you can say they're wrong or right, you start to realise that lots of what people say isn't straightforwardly wrong or right. And actually, very rarely do politicians say something that's completely off the wall and not true. It's got a kernel of More something often, in maybe. there. <laughs> More often than that. <laughs> also, the other, thing, yeah. the other thing with the kind of, you know, fact check, reality check is thinking, you know, stepping back and thinking more widely about how, you know, the kind of, you know, truth checking and false, you know, what is truth and, you know, and, and, and that has completely changed. And, you know, and I was thinking kind of ahead of this about, you know, we used to kind of read PA copy, you know, I've 
was in Westminster with Gary when I was a producer kind of 15 years ago, and you, things would break on PA, or the, and that would be kind of how you get your information. And now, you know, a million things are coming in on Twitter. There's 10 different sources. And our role of what we're checking and how we're filtering that has changed over time. And I think, you know, the referendum almost came at the peak time as we were learning how to deal with that. And it's been <coughs> so rapid. I, I think certainly in my career that you know, change in the way new, what is news and how it comes, you know, that coincided with, with the referendum, can, uh, which made it more difficult. As, uh, yeah. So I'm on the other end. I get interviewed and I'm <laughs> a huge... A lot. <laughs> and I'm a huge beneficiary of the sort of balance. I'm a huge beneficiary of the fact that, uh, that people want women on and I'm a huge beneficiary of the fact that because I've worked for organisations that are not aligned to Brexit or not Brexit, we are put on quite a lot because we don't have to have somebody else, so they can just invite one of us. So that's, <laughs> that's a huge inconvenience because that's obviously much, much easier. And I think they're really good developments. Like, I think Reality Check is fantastic. I do work with Full Fact, which is, does that independently, and Fact Check are all great innovations. But I would say we're talking about this as though uh, the UK's problems with Europe started at the referendum. They didn't. And I think the sort of media should actually think how did we cover? the UK in the EU. Uh, mostly we didn't because mostly it was in the too boring box and we only really covered fights in Europe and actually in that sense it was conspiring with politicians who always presented Europe in the UK and David Cameron it's very clear, it's very difficult to fight a referendum when actually the narrative is always there's this group over here are doing dastardly things supporting the UK but your noble leader has gone off and won a fight. So I think there's this question about the context there. What we what we probably all misunderstood, particularly in the referendum, was the was the role of digital media or social media, which we found out belatedly in the referendum, which bypassed all of this um, and, and created an emotional appeal, which no matter how many fact checks, no matter I mean and just to make his point, Newsnight were doing films throughout the entire period. Yeah. So despite all these things, full fact and everything else, there has been an emotional message that has been sent out to millions and millions of people in ways we didn't understand, in ways that we can't control, that aren't regulated, that fall back on slogans like get Brexit done, take back control. And no matter how many full facts you put out, when there has been decades of an emotional argument made by a very powerful centre-right press about what Brussels does wrong for you and why it's your fault, on top of a very powerful digital campaign, you know, it's not really enough just to sort of point your finger at public service broadcasters and say, you know, why didn't you give them more information about the whys and wherefores of the customs union? Because we did. Yeah. We, they, people yeah. just weren't yeah. paying attention. Yeah. They didn't really care. You mentioned the parliamentary debate. Most of those debates were passionate arguments yeah. about people um, wanting to have a say in through Parliament about whether we should be in a customs union, whether we should be in a single market, what the real benefits were. It wasn't as if we've gone through a whole year without hearing Anna Subri, Dominic Grieve, all these people who've now been completely washed away in the political um, you know, uh, <coughs> mess of the last election, whatever, however you want to look at that. Um, they had that voice. I just don't think emotionally people in this country, particularly in England and Wales, really wanted to hear it. I think they already had made their minds up to a much greater degree than I think we... We understood at the time, and there were forces appealing to them around us that we didn't really understand. That we've only we have gone some way to understanding through 
you know, great work on Channel 4 through Cambridge Analytica and things like that. But despite highlighting that, it hasn't changed the debate. The debate has been set, if you like, because the referendum was won. And then everything has been an emotional play after that about you've got to deliver the result of the referendum. I think the role of whatever Tom may say about the dynamic of um, either of the, the, the electorate bef during the referendum campaign and up to and including it, or during the negotiation, uh, even though that dynamic was very powerful, I think one has to start to uh, understand why people came to the referendum in the mindset that they did. Mm. I found voter after voter who would come up to me and say, I don't mind if it makes me a bit poorer. I want my country back. Mm. Whatever that meant, and it didn't mean a, 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 an advanced understanding about the single market or anything like <laughs> that. It meant something more amorphous than that, about how things had raced away from them and they weren't happy about it, they weren't happy with who was running it and on what platform they were running the country. There was, there was some alienation uh, going on there, which is something to do... With, there's lots of things going on there, but we... It surprised us. I looked back, when I was thinking about this, to a... Um, I, I, spoke, I worked closely, obviously, with Laura Koonsberg, and she reminded me of a two-way she did on the 10 o'clock news, I think, um, a week before the referendum. And I wrote it down because it is worth, you know, this kind of did we call it, didn't we call it. And she said, you know, forgive me for quoting it, but she said, something quite strange is going on at the moment. Um, the Remain side is nervous because they're um, confronting the fact they might lose, and the Out campaign are nervous because they're confronting the fact that they actually might win this. <laughs> you know, and that was on the, the 15th of June, you know, ju just before the campaign. So, I, you know, I, I, I agree, you know, in the kind of getting out and understanding the country, and I think, like, lots of people, you know, broadcasters and, and beyond, you know, we need to... You know, do do that more and be be closer to the people whose lives we're covering and you know talking about. And you know, I felt in the in the in the election last year, we did that. We put a lot of work I into doing that. But I think you know so that clearly says you know on the ten, Laura said it's shifting a week a week before the campaign. If you suddenly think Leave is going to win, then there's a really interesting story, which is are we in are we at all ready? Are these leaves at all ready to win? And we saw that with that press conference the day yes. after, and they all looked completely yeah, shell shocked. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, this wasn't supposed to happen. We haven't got a clue what happens next. But I think speaking to that, there's a real challenge in what you do when, no matter how pressed someone is, they say the same things and they repeat the same. There is a there's a number of claims that were made repeatedly by the now Prime Minister and by others, which had been fact-checked and were picked up by interviewers, and they were picked up on every outlet they went on. But nevertheless, those claims are repeated and they cut through. And that message, you know, was incredibly powerful. The get Brexit done is, you know, um, do, there was an interview um, I think Nick Robinson did with John McDonald's Day programme, where he said, "What is your message? What is Labour's campaign message?" And John McDonald couldn't answer it. And so as you went around the country. You know, people were saying get Brexit done. It was, a, you know, one of the clearest, you know, the clearest campaign slogans I can think of. You know, for in, in, in a general election. Get Brexit done is, is basically a way of saying get Brexit off the telly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the idea of the, 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 the city on the hill, the Jerusalem, the idea that Brexit was some promised land, that didn't come up at all no, on the doorstep. No. They, they, people, people just what it was like they bought. Um, 
something. They, they paid for it with their car. Someone was telling them the wiring, wiring really wasn't very yeah. good and it might yeah. blow up at home. And they said, I don't care, yeah. I bought yeah. it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I bought it, I want yeah. to drive yeah. it yeah. Okay. somewhere. John, do you want to say anything about Brexit? I'm not sure any of us distinguished ourselves, really, in that uh, encounter. Britain was in the most divided state I've ever known. Um, and uh, I don't think the media was as divided, to be absolutely honest. I mean, certainly not the electronic media. What's interesting that, that's happened to us is that viewing figures are no longer what we're interested in, not in television anyway. We're only watched by about between 750,000 and a million a night. But we've just chalked up 6 million on Facebook, which is uh, something amazing. And you, you, YouTube is now it. That's where it is for television. And we're doing extremely well there. Um, people are watching online. I mean, I don't imagine any of you watch telly at all. Uh, if you do, you're off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, I should say, John, that the people who pay for the programmes, the advertisers, mm. are quite pleased that somebody's watching on television. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. And monetising online is clearly a big, yeah. huge challenge. Yeah. Um, but at least we're communicating and somehow somebody will think they can make money out of that. They will. Um, it's very difficult to come cold into something which has already been going on for an hour. We were just <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> I don't really know that uh, uh, I can add to the sum total, except that I think Brexit is as nothing compared with uh, climate change and global warming. And I think we have to invest as the media in a way we've never dreamt of in terms of covering that, and it's very, very challenging. I take my hat off to Justin Rowland for spending five weeks on the ice in the Antarctic uh, to get at a real great story, not a great story, a worrying story about the Thwaites Glacier, which uh, is melting at some considerable rate, is the size of Great Britain, and if it goes the whole hog, uh, it will be responsible for 4% of the global uh, oceanic um, water level rise and that for Bangladesh and many other countries will be cataclysmic. Um, so I think that's where our, our investment should be. In the run-up to polling day before Christmas um, and Helen actually worked was on placement with us and work, worked on this, but you know if you looked at social media in certain strands you thought you know Labour and Corbyn were doing really really well and you know, could they take um, Uxbridge? Could they, you know, do we need to cover that story? Are they, you know, and actually, then we had teams out in in the country who were, you know, saying to us, we can't find a Labour voter in Bishop <laughs> Auckland, and yeah. then so we're then applying our editorial, you know, standards and you know, editorial judgment to how we how we balance that story. And I think it's 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 just stepping back and saying, you know, just because someone gets two thousand likes. On social, on a on a tweet, it doesn't you know mean it's true or holds more weight. We're about to approach a negotiation about the future relationship with the EU, and that has enormous moments attached to it, more almost than the withdrawal agreement negotiation. The EU is one of the biggest trading blocks in the world. You've got China, you've got the EU, you've got the US and America, and you know who do we align ourselves with? Who does plucky little Britain? Uh, stand up for apart from itself. I'd be interested to know what, what you or anyone thinks was kind of missing from the coverage or what mm. information mm. wasn't there, because I think we, 
all of the kind of core information was out there and explained in multiple, multiple, numerous different ways and forms. And I mean, we do lots of audience research, and you can see that no matter how many times you put these things out, people don't know what the single market is, they don't know what the union is. The number one question that's asked is, what is Brexit? I don't think Brexit was about Brexit at all. Brexit was about grievous inequality. It was about uh, generations of deprivation. It was about uh, a, a desperate um, failure to understand a tax system which might have made us live slightly more equal lives. Not you know, Marxist, but something a little less grievous than exists at the moment. And I think people had very, very real grievances. <coughs> when you see those seats that swapped from uh, Labour to Tory, and you look at the appalling conditions that virtually every one of those constituencies had lived in all that time. How on earth were you ever going to persuade them that in some way there was something that was going to happen that had any relevance whatever to their condition? And if they had something to pin it on, they could say, let's go for Brexit. Yes, shit, that'll get them rolling. That'll get them sitting up. I'll vote for Brexit. That'll stuff them. <laughs> Doesn't, it doesn't explain why just about every single county across the whole of the south of England voted Brexit. It doesn't explain why Bournemouth voted Brexit, Poole voted Brexit, Christchurch voted Brexit. Have you been to hey, Bournemouth? Yes, Bournemouth I have been to... I, I live on the south coast. The most appalling deprivation. But, Who were the most accessible people on the entire Brexit campaign? Anne Whittacombe and, of course, Farage. Who, who would, it didn't matter what time of night, what time of morning, and where he was, he would speak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Powers, would you, of course, what time do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a portable transmitter here, I can talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a satellite dish in the front wheel. You know. I used to be in number 10, so I've worked in Down Street, I also used to be Treasury Director of Communications. And I mean, government is now behaving as I would regard as deeply improper in the way it does. I mean, you know, for a long time you read out completely rubbish press, you know, comments from government which don't relate at all to the question. No one's why you bother to broadcast them. You have ministers not turning up on shows. Well, it's weird, wasn't it? Because we were we were stuck in a rut. We were in a we were in a national state of paralysis. There was one story. Nothing else was happening yeah. in our politics, in our government. Nothing, and. You ha you, this was an issue that kept coming back. So if I say, so what do you suggest uh, we, we do? And this is a genuine question. Yeah, Brexit is complicated. Um, but I don't even blame the broadcasters for Brexit being complicated. It's more that the failure there is with politicians. Politicians know Brexit's complicated. They know that referenda can produce very odd results because they know that people actually are going to vote a whole multitude of things. I hate the posh boys in charge. I'm pissed off about this or whatever. They knew Brexit would be very complicated. They didn't do the due diligence. David Cameron gave the impression that it was a legitimate choice that you could really make between staying in and staying out. Actually, they were both manageable. And I think the big failure there is to actually, the politicians to say, actually, these are two quite feasible choices. So I think it's wrong to blame the broadcasters for saying you can convey the complexity of Brexit. Because, of course, it's extraordinarily difficult. I just think the only person in the room who's been both a TV journalist and a regulator, mm. I think you guys sometimes over-regulate yourselves. I, I, I can agree. tell you that sitting at Ofcom, we would cut you more slack. <laughs> <laughs> I think another, another thing I think we haven't talked about, or maybe haven't you know, touched, is, is the, 
you know, the toxicity of the debates mm. and the shouting yeah. and the mudslinging and the, you know, it was, it was pretty, and I found the election pretty grim, actually, you know, and I think we haven't really talked about that and how that affected, you know, mm. us as broadcasters, you know, journalists more generally and, and politicians. And I think that's another thing that's kind of changed, certainly in my time of covering elections for the BBC, is the <coughs> way, you know, the way the debate was conducted. Yeah. Well, there is an editor putting together a book at the moment, written by a journalist who worked on the on on the election. We each get a chapter, and I must say, I mean, my chapter simply said I thought it was the worst election I'd had to cover uh, in the twelve that I've had to cover in Britain in my career. Uh, I, I thought it was absolutely appalling. Politicians behaved disgracefully in not making themselves available to pursue their arguments, etc. They acted undemocratically, effectively. You've been listening to The Know-How, the podcast that dissects pressing issues with academics and experts. It was presented by Lindsay Blumel and Glenda Cooper and produced by Atina Dimitrova. For more information on this and our other episodes, please go to our website, www.thenowhowpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Know How Podcast or on Facebook at The Know How Podcast.